When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Another episode of La Dame and Latte. I'm your host, Nicole, and that is my baby you can hear in the background who is particularly chatty this morning, and I cannot get anyone to look after her. So she'll be making spontaneous contributions throughout the episode. Finally, I am free. I have been released from jail. Melbourne is like a whole new city. It's like a like those cartoons where the black rain cloud has been lifted and the sun has come out. For the first time in what feels like nine million years, I've actually had a busy week. I haven't been to Kmart yet, which is a lie. I actually have. I had to book a time to go because I really needed some balls for my ball pit. Yes, I have my priorities in order, but what I definitely do not understand is what compelled people to spend their first moments of freedom camped outside Kmart in a tent. So another confined space on the concrete waiting for Kmart to open at midnight. Like I feel like the tents weren't really necessary. After far too long pondering, I concluded that these people had just spent so long in their own houses and beds that any change was a good change. Ironically, the decorations and those beds in their houses probably came from Kmart in the first place, but then I realised if this pandemic has taught us anything at all, it's that you shouldn't try and understand people because some people are just fucking crazy. Today on the podcast, 2.2 million people worldwide have taken a Yale University course called The Science of Happiness. Sure, if you want Yale on your resume, then you should definitely give it a whirl. But as a consolation prize, today I'm going to give you the crash course version. Then I review the debutante film of the Netflix holiday season, Holiday. Surprise! While I was in lockdown, I got my degree in life coaching. I didn't know it happened, but it definitely must have because this might be the most unsolicited self-help segment I have ever done. Now, I found it really interesting putting it together and I learned quite a lot. So I really hope that it is a good beneficial segment and that it doesn't come across like some Scientology Nick, some self-help wanky crap. If it does sound a bit culty, let me know because I might have another career in starting a cult. I hear they're very successful enterprises. So let's get into it. 
In 2018, Yale launched this course called The Science of Happiness, and it became their most popular course in their 317-year history with one in four students enrolled in the course. Demand became so big that they made the course available for free on Coursera. So if you want to go and take it, you can go there. I feel like it's really important to acknowledge that when we talk about happiness, external factors have an extremely influential role. All you have to do is look at the World Happiness Report, which ranks the happiness of every country in the world. And the happiest countries in the world are the Scandinavian countries with stable economies, strong quality of life. And the least happiest are uh, countries like Rwanda, Tanzania, Afghanistan, Middle East and African countries that have experienced war and hardship. Now, the external influence on happiness is also why course enrolment has exploded worldwide since March. With 2020 a year more rough than a trip on the spirit of Tassie on a choppy day, people are reaching for any resource they can to resist this soul-crushing force of a year. And that's why currently more than 2.2 million people worldwide have taken this course. So obviously, you cannot control everything. Otherwise, I'd be hella rich and famous by now and I would not have to work a single day in my life. Obviously, this course is not going to teach you how to magically control all the external influences on your happiness. Like you're not going to magically now be able to increase the number in your bank account or cease all famine and war because it's Yale, not Hogwarts. But what it does teach you is that happiness can be learnt and there are steps you can take in your everyday life to improve your overall happiness. Lucky for you, I'm going to share with you some of those super easy steps to increasing your happiness because me and a Yale professor are basically the same thing. Now, full disclosure, Tara Parker-Pope wrote an article for the New York Times that summed up a lot of these steps you can take to improve your happiness. So I am going to use that as a base for our tidy little session on Fuck You 2020, I'm Still Gonna Shine. It all starts with your mind and mindfulness is nothing new. Metaphysical practices from Buddhism to yoga have been telling us this for literally centuries, but Western science has finally caught up. So now they're like, oh yeah, no, that's actually legit. Generally, as human beings, we're not wired to be super positive all the time. Disney 100% is lying to us. Think about it, right? Rapunzel was locked in a tower for 18 years. Think of how fucked up she'd be. There is no way she'd be playing with birds and singing show tunes. She would, aside from a real vitamin D deficiency, have severe social anxiety, smoke three packs a day and be in intensive therapy. Realistically, we're more likely to ruminate on negative experiences rather than positive ones. Like if you do one embarrassing thing when you're drunk, you will be thinking about that moment at 3am for the rest of your life. But if you won like $100 on a scratchy, as soon as you'd spent it on that 30% off iconic sale, you'd forget all about it. Because we've evolved to think this way. It's evolution. So in order to increase our happiness, we have to retrain our minds to move away from that negative default. And I have learned from watching SAS that I have approximately zero mental strength. Like I would not last a day at that boot camp. But these steps are so super easy that even someone with zero mental willpower, myself, can do them. 
So the science says that these steps will make you happier if you practice them. But as someone who is highly anxious and leans towards that negative end of the scale quite frequently, I have found that these steps, well, I don't do all of them, but the ones I do are actually invaluable in bringing me back to neutral. So I can't speak for someone who is relatively unaffected by things. I guess if these don't make sense to you, then move on to the other ones because I really do think there is something for everyone in here. Okay. Number one is don't try and stop the negative thoughts. Like fuck off, stop thinking about this, which is something I think frequently actually doesn't help because you say the thing that you're trying not to think about, which only makes you think about it more. So think of negative thoughts like an STD. They do not go away on their own. You need to acknowledge them so you can manage them. So if you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I have that parking ticket. I really need to pay it. It's not going to go away. You have to acknowledge it so you can manage it. So you acknowledge it. And then the next step is to treat yourself like a friend, which I think this is really going to be hard for you if you don't like yourself (laughs) or people in general. But the idea is that you would be less harsh on a friend and more rational. So what advice would you give to your friend? Um, Just pay the fucking parking ticket. That would be my advice. Negative thoughts can very quickly also become irrational thoughts. Like sometimes if my friends don't write back to me within the hour, I start to think that they're mad at me. And then I go through all of our previous conversations for the last two months and I try to think, what could I have possibly done to piss them off so much? And then I think, oh my God, they're going to cut me off and never speak to me again. They're going to tell all my other friends what I've done and then they're never going to speak to me again. And then they're all going to like troll me on Facebook and Instagram and I'm going to have no friends left. Oh my God. And really, they just are in the shower. But Everyone has irrational thoughts and I think you're even more prone to them if you have anxiety where everything is worst case scenario. So one of the steps to take to counter this is to challenge your negative thoughts. Or for those of you in academia, this is known as Socratic questioning. I believe it stems from the philosopher Socrates. I hope that's right or that would be embarrassing. But basically, it's where you challenge your irrational thoughts with rationality. So say, for instance, you're a 30-year-old med student still living at home with your parents. So you write that down and then you're like, is this a fact or a feeling? How might others view this situation more positively? How would I view it if I was someone else? And that other person might see it more like, well, in like five years, you are going to be a hella rich doctor. So you'll be able to buy your parents' house plus like 10 more, including a house down the coast in Portsea. And as for your current situation, you live with two housekeepers who do all of your cooking and cleaning for you. Plus, you've never paid rent, so you have a tidy little savings account. Um, So yeah, you're really living everyone else's dream. Next up, we have controlled breathing, which is basically the basis for mindfulness. If you have anxiety or depression, I'm sure you know this method well and would give it a five-star Google review. In its most very, very basic form, the way you can do it is count in for four, hold for four, and breathe out for four, and then do that 10 times and just You have to make sure that you hold your stomach so you ensure that you're breathing in deep and not doing lots of shallow breaths. Honestly, controlled breathing is basically the natural dupe for Valium. Now, if you're like me and have zero mind mind control, 
Is that the right word? Sure, we'll go with that. There are heaps of apps that can help you with this practice. I really like Headspace. There's also Calm or Smiling Mind, or you can look it up on Spotify or YouTube. The next thing Parker Pope suggests is to rewrite your story. And I know like writing, I don't know. But before you start, remember you don't need to write a Pulitzer Prize. There's no pressure and you can totally delete it when you're done or write it in a diary and keep it under your pillow. Up to you. So some research suggests that writing in a personal journal for just 15 minutes a day can boost our overall happiness because it allows us to express our emotions, be mindful of our circumstances and resolve inner conflicts. And to me, this just sounds like what everyone does in a long shower. Like how many fights have you won in your head in the shower? It's also kind of reminiscent of if you're the kind of person like I am who writes an angry email just to release the emotion, but obviously could never send it because you'd get fired. But if you've ever done either of those things, you'd know that like thinking it out or writing it out can actually be quite cathartic. But James Pennebaker, who is a psychology professor at the University of Texas, actually suggests taking journaling that one step further and actually rewriting your story. And I know this sounds like a lot of work, but like I said, there is something in this whole episode for everyone, even if this additional effort is not quite for you. But he suggests the idea here is getting people to come to terms with who they are and where they want to go. And like, yeah, I'm really sus on this one because it feels like you'd write this story and then be disappointed when it didn't happen. Like when you wake up and you've had this really great sex dream about Channing Tatum and then you cannot help but be disappointed for the next 24 hours because it's not reality. But basically, it's like challenging your negative thoughts like we already spoke about. You write down the situation that you're in and then rewrite it as a positive. Like, I fucking hate my job. I hate everything about it. And then you rewrite it like... I'm doing my job so I can put a roof over my family's head, but I will search for something that fulfills me. So yeah, like I said, I have slight trepidation about this one, but Parker Pope suggests that there are numerous studies that have shown that rewriting your story does help switch your negative mindset into a more positive one. All right, let's move into the physical and get the fuck up. This is something for everyone. It's a no-brainer. Exercise releases endorphins and endorphins make you happy. Now, I have the laziest exercise option for you, which yes, you know, is something I have Googled, but I actually came up with these exercises all on my own. I'm basically a PT as well as a life coach now. So whenever you're in traffic, do exercises at the lights, like pelvic floor exercises, or I like to hold my arms out straight and do little circles, like really work on those tuck shop lady wings. You can do it with really any small interval, like ad breaks, although sometimes those are personally a bit too long for me. Or instead of a drinking game when you're watching a show, you could do like every time this happens, I'll stand up and sit down again, aka squats. Now, the key is don't do anything too hard like sit-ups or burpees that will turn you off this fun game. There is some unsolicited advice for you that is not from a scientific study, full disclaimer, but I just feel like you would really appreciate it. 
Your home is so important to your happiness. Obviously, your country, like, again, look at the World Happiness Report. The first world privileged countries have a higher level of happiness to those who have gone through hardship. But your home also in the sense of your postcode, even your physical house, has a huge impact on your happiness. And if there has been one benefit of 2020, I think it's that through being Forced to do so, companies have recognized that remote working or working from home actually works. So I think so many of us now have the opportunity to not be geographically bound to our job and can be more flexible with where we want to live. As far as our financial situation will allow, which is not very far, maybe if you live in Sydney or Melbourne, but I'm just working on turning those negatives into positives, you see. (laughs) So this company called The Knight Foundation interviewed 43,000 people in 26 communities to find out what made a happy community and they found these key things. Number one is openness. So people are happiest when they live in a really welcoming community, in which case I would strongly suggest you do not move to Brighton if you're in Melbourne. But how nice is it like when people walk down the street and say hello, maybe because it's so rare. Now that noise in the background you can hear, that is my child getting her mitts in the dog's food bowl. Yeah, it's metal. So she just puts her hand in it, moves it around a little bit, picks out the dry food and puts some in her mouth. But don't worry, she's not going to eat it because despite the fact she puts it in her mouth literally every day, she actually doesn't like the taste, surprisingly. So she'll eventually spit it out. Now, these people in this (laughs) survey also said that beauty was really important, living in a scenic green or picturesque space. So I think that some people like living in the city, So it's what you find visually appealing and comfortable, I suppose. But as you would probably know, heaps of studies also suggest spending time outside is good for you. It's very confusing, though. You've got to get that vitamin D, but not too much. Wear sunscreen every day, but don't wear sunscreen. It's got chemicals in it and it's so dangerous for you. To confirm, nothing is more dangerous than the sun's rays, so definitely wear sunscreen. Finally, they said social connections are really important. Now, this does not mean you have to become best friends with your neighbours because it's not 1965 and your neighbours could be serial killers now. But what it means is there are restaurants, community spaces, parks, sporting clubs, trails, etc. Actually, I was listening to something today and it was a study on postcodes and correlation with crime. And it said there were two postcodes in Australia right next to each other. One of them had a sporting club, one of them didn't. And the sporting club made all the difference to minimizing the crime rate. Fun little anthropological fact for you there. These suggestions do feel a little bit privileged to me because not everyone really has the luxury of making these choices. I would say I'm a pretty privileged person living in Melbourne and even I don't have these opportunities. The word refugee tells us that people in these less happier countries would literally die not to live in their country. So while we talk about these localized steps that we can take, I just feel like it needs to be acknowledged that a lot of people don't have these choices. And I kind of grappled with how I felt about this if it was a bit too elitist. But then I thought, it's a science. The research has been done. It's been done in the West. If you have the privilege, the accessibility, then 
you just apply what you're comfortable with applying in your own personal circumstance. So even more localized than your postcode is your physical living situation and something we can do to improve our happiness within the four walls of our house is get ready for your lady boner, organize. Decluttering is undoubtedly a key to increased happiness. Now, try not to climax when I read out these decluttering tips. Fold things neatly. Throw things away that don't make you happy. Spend money on experiences you'll remember, not physical things you'll disregard. What? No, definitely not the last one. I disagree. Spend money on whatever the fuck you want. So Parker Pope references an idea from this book, Happiness at Home, and it talks about this one minute rule where you get satisfaction from completing tasks under a minute. And I feel like we do these things every day, but it's acknowledging that you've done them. So replying to that message from three days ago, putting your dish in your dishwasher, making your bed. Yeah, you already do it, but acknowledging it means that you can recognize that short-term happiness boost it's going to give you. Also, you'll probably get a cleaner house, which will also make you happier. You will spend approximately one third of your life in your bedroom, so you better bloody love that room like you love your mum. Parker Pope suggests, unsurprisingly, that people who get more sleep and more sex are happier. For more on sex, please see our episode of Let's Talk About Sex Baby. But for the bedroom... Parker Popes suggests investing in quality bedding, and please, I don't think you need any sort of degree to advise on that. You just need to be over 25. But she also has some other hot tips like get blackout blinds because the darker the room, the better you'll sleep. And I absolutely disagree with this. If I can't see well enough to see that that pile of clothes on my chair is a pile of clothes and not a serial killer, I am not sleeping well. She also says, remove the TV. And I feel like this is quite aggressive. She says, bedrooms are haven for sleep, sex, and contemplating, not screen time. And I feel personally victimized by this because I have a TV in my room. Finally, she says, make the bed. And I'm so glad because my boyfriend fucking hates making the bed. Too many cushions. Why do you have all these cushions? And then he uses the excuse that when you make the bed, bacteria breeds more and I don't fucking know just change the sheets more frequently you dirty pig anyway the reason that we have all these cushions is because they look good and they make us happy plus making the bed is a one minute task so when we accomplish that it will spike our happiness and I think we can all agree that getting into a freshly made bed at the end of the day makes us so happy it could only be better if they were freshly washed sheets Okay, I'm now a relationship counsellor as well, so let's talk about what makes people happy in relationships. And a few weeks ago, we did an episode on green flags, the traits that make you want to keep people around. And in that episode, we had someone called Tiffany, your friend who you explicitly tell not to sleep with the guy who's been cheating on her and gave her three new strains of chlamydia. But then she calls you one Monday crying to tell you she did exactly that. And those people are anti-green flags, those friends that are a drain on your mental resources. Now, obviously, it is a completely different story when you have friends who are not happy, but genuinely need your support and friendship during a hardship in their life. 
The difference is the anti-green flag friends are those friends who actively assume that victim mentality through their own self-destruction and do nothing to break the trends that are keeping their life stagnant. So you invest in both friends and it drains you to invest in both. But the difference is the anti-green flag friend is on a continuous cycle. So there's never any return for your investment. Because this research done by Yale discovered that people's happiness depends on who they're connected to. It also found that a person's happiness extends to three degrees of separation, meaning that your happiness can influence a friend of a friend of a friend. Is that two or three? But I don't know. I think that's so cool. Like the other day, my friend told me that a girl we used to work with got a promotion and this girl was so hardworking and just never got rewarded for her job. And this job that she's now got, it's with a huge company. It's a great role. And she really has the opportunity to make a difference on a huge scale. And that literally made my day. It also found that people who are surrounded by many happy people are more likely to become happy themselves, obviously. Surround yourselves with happy people, not sad people, like this child at my feet. And each happy friend you're surrounded by increases your chance of happiness by around 9%. So I guess if you have 12 happy friends, your happiness would be at 108%. I'm not sure if that's right, but I think the moral of the story is to be around happy people and not around drainers like this baby. Here is one I imagine you've been waiting for. Animals make us happy. No shit. When I told my boyfriend I was doing this topic, he was like, just get a dog. End of. Everyone knows dogs are the best. Who else is going to run to the door when you get home and be so excited to see you they want to lick your feet? No one, not even your mum. And as I have said like a thousand times before, if you're not an animal person, you are not to be trusted in life and you should seek immediate counselling. But in case you weren't convinced that animals make us happier, the American Psychological Association did a study which showed that people are generally healthy and happier when they have pets. That's why women who live alone with like 18 cats are the happiest of all. It's a science. Okay, this one I feel like is a bit hard to stomach for some people, but it's science, so it's true. You can be happy alone. So research shows that being married or even in a long-term relationship doesn't actually mean you'll be happy now that I say it out loud. Obviously, that's why so many relationships end in divorce. But if you're a happy person already, you might get a little bump in happiness from being married. And honestly, I can think of a much cheaper bump that would make you happy rather than spending 100K on a wedding. But if you're lacking those platonic social connections, you'll get a much bigger rush. But if they're a shit person and you're lacking those platonic connections, you're also more likely to hold on to that person for companionship. And also, if you do lose them, you're going to be hit much harder than someone who has well-connected platonic relationships. Does that make sense? I don't know. (laughs) So as an example, how many friends do you have that scrape the bottom of that red flag barrel 
just to have someone. Like they can be with someone who is a controlling, jealous, cheating, absolutely hideous human being, but someone is better than nothing, except it's absolutely not. In their book, What a Time to Be Alone, Chidera Aguirre says that being insecure and feeling lonely is the ultimate recipe for self-destruction and boredom and insecurity are the perfect combination for a lot of poor choices, which then makes them a Tiffany and the kind of person who is draining on your happiness. What? Look at that connection I just drew. Both Edgar and Parker Pope suggest that rather than finding fulfillment through the significant other, the key is to not depend on them for your happiness and rather to have well-rounded social connections, hobbies, and this is the hard one, feel comfortable being alone. And for me, I just, I could never be alone. I've never been able to live alone. I've always had people around me. Ugh it stresses me out. So how do you do that? Well, my girlfriend actually recommended the book to me, What a Time to Be Alone. And I'll put a link in the show notes because I believe it is self-help, but I cannot stress how anti-self-help this girl is who recommended it. She's super strong-willed, independent, and would not be caught dead within a kilometer of an inspirational quote. But she went through this really shitty breakup, was questioning all her life choices, and someone gave it to her. So she came out the other side, really invested in her own hobbies, and decided that she was just going to cut anyone from her life who wasn't motivated with themselves, wasn't passionate about things in their life, and wasn't there for her when she needed them, even if at the time she didn't have the capacity to reciprocate. She was brutal. She was just like, you're toxic. See ya. And that's just something I really aspire to do because I have way too many friends and I am sure not all of them are good for me. But I also realized that my problem is quite uncommon and I sound like an absolute wanker saying that. And most people actually find it really hard to make adult friends. So a while ago, we did a whole episode on it where in our Facebook group, all the fans submitted ways that they've made friends as adults. So if you're looking to make some new non-toxic friends, check out that episode. But basically, in summary, hang around happy people and animals, no douchebags. You spend a significant amount of your time, like technically probably 38 hours a week, but maybe more like nine hours a week working. So you need to be able to withdraw some happiness from your job which is most likely the financial income that it brings. But apparently money doesn't buy us happiness. And I just don't believe this. And the only way I could understand it was to to use this Kardashian's case study. So if you have watched it from the beginning, which obviously I assume that you have, you'll recall that in the earlier seasons, Kim struggled to pay her rent. Now they have more money than like Gina Reinhardt, but we certainly haven't watched them get off the Richter scale happier every season. Now, again, it's a really privileged view because truly poor people are happier with more money, but that's only the case when that money allows you to satisfy your physiological needs. Like if it allows you to satisfy food and shelter, once you have enough money to satisfy those needs, then more money apparently does not mean more happiness. Now, what I want to say to this is, yeah, but shopping truly does make me happy. Like the add to cart, that ring on my doorbell when the delivery man arrives. But 
it's a burst of happiness, whatever. And we quickly then settle back into our previous happiness levels. And then we need to keep buying more and more and more and more and more because we all know there is no sadder feeling than knowing we have no upcoming appointments with the OzPost delivery man. And this is called the hedonic treadmill. We get these material things, clothes, houses, promotions even. And because the happiness is so short-lived, then we're moving on to the next thing that can make us happy. But if we spend money on experiences, then when we think of those experiences, the memories make us happy. Like when I think of schoolies, I think of all the fun I had passed out on a beach at 3 a.m. It is super important to find purpose at work to increase your overall happiness, which makes a lot of sense because you spend a lot of time technically at work. Christine Porath wrote a column in the New York Times called Why You Hate Your Job, and she covered these key points that will help you find purpose and happiness at work. Basically, if you can't fulfill any of these points, it's definitely time for a new job. First up is taking a break. Basically, employees who take a break every 90 minutes are way more productive than someone that takes no breaks or just one break during the day. So what I'm reading from that is people that stop and talk about Batchy or Netflix and just have like a solid chat with their friends are way more productive than those people who don't even leave their desks to take lunch. Suck it. I am so productive in that case. Feeling valued is the next one. And this is something you really can't influence yourself. And I feel like it's kind of rare because the line, everyone's replaceable, seems just as common in a workplace as let's take that offline. But feeling valued as an employee does improve your happiness. Obviously, like as millennials, we require so much validation. So if like someone constantly tells us, we really appreciate you, you're doing such a good job, it would be like a compliment factory. I would be highly satisfied in my job. I would never leave. I'd have the biggest head. I would be so happy. The article also talks about purpose, which I feel like if you are not in the health sector is really hard because every day I'm like, well, not saving lives. So how do you find purpose if you're not saving lives? And you have to get really creative. Like this study found that even janitors were finding purpose by saying like, well, I'm not just cleaning, I'm stopping the spread of disease. But it can also be like, well, my purpose is that I'm getting money. I can afford to live the life I sort of want to live. Finally, we have reached the last element of the pursuit of happiness. There is one more thing that you need to do to maximize your happiness, and that is to love yourself. If you are a real piece of shit and you can't stand yourself, that's going to be a real obstacle for you. So despite the many degrees I seem to have got during this lockdown, I'm still not a trained therapist, and I would suggest you hook yourself up with one of those because it's complex. But Parker Pope suggests a place you can start is to be kinder. And a way you can do that is to be generous. When I hear this, I think of the episode of Friends where Joey and Phoebe argue about the fact that there is no unselfish good deed. And there isn't because doing good deeds makes us happy. Actually, just thinking about being generous can trigger happiness reactions in our brain. So think about that next time you walk past a homeless person. 
Be nice to yourself. If you're judgmental or hard on yourself, give yourself a break. And I guess that's why the research says treat yourself like a friend because you'd be way less harsh on your friend. Studies have found that people who have some compassion for themselves tend to be more happy and optimistic. So it actually doesn't pay to be like, oh, just put in that extra two hours. No, finish now and go and have seven glasses of wine. You will be happier. I guarantee it. There you have it, fans, the science of happiness featuring a screaming crotch demon. Mindfulness, surrounding yourself with other happy people, loving where you live and finding value from your job. Some of it you're probably already doing. Some of it might seem absolutely not for you. And some of it might sound really appealing, but you know it's going to take changing a lifetime of learned habits. But Parker Pope says that maximizing your happiness doesn't just come to you. You have to work for it. And I think that being aware and cognizant of the steps you can take is half of the battle fought already. The last movie that I watched with Emma Roberts was Little Italy, which I reviewed a few months ago on the podcast. And if you recall, it was more than a little bit shit. So you can understand my trepidation in watching not only another Emma Roberts movie, but a holiday-themed Emma Roberts movie. But friends, I can confirm that a Christmas miracle has occurred and Emma Roberts has finally made her first good movie since Wild Child in 2008. The Holiday stars Roberts, who plays Sloane, and Australian Luke Bracey as Jackson. You may remember Luke as Trey Palmer from Home and Away. I don't, so let me describe him for you. He legit looks like a combination of all three Hemsworth brothers. He is a holiday treat. Sloane and Jackson are two hot single people. They meet in a mall while they're both trying to return shitty Christmas gifts. And at this point, it becomes abundantly clear why these two very good looking people cannot lock it down. He comes across as a little bit sexist and she is so whingy. So they agree that they will be each other's holiday. Every holiday, they will be each other's purely platonic date, which means win-win, Jackson gets to avoid all the crazy bitches during the holiday season and Sloane can take someone home to her nagging as fuck mum. Yes, that is where she gets it from. But uh uh-oh, friends without benefits, someone is definitely going to get hurt. With each holiday that passes, their chemistry increases and they fall for each other just that little bit more. But then, a dilemma. Her brother's wedding is on Labor Day. It's a holiday, but also a wedding, which is not part of their deal. (gasps) What to do? Mm, Well, they both decide to take separate dates. Oh, yes, because Jackson is invited to her brother's wedding because Chicago is such a small town. Everyone knows everyone, right? So at the wedding, they are both so jealous. If you didn't know it by now, aka you've never seen a single rom-com in your life, they have utterly, totally fallen for each other. The next holiday is Halloween and they go to a Halloween party together. There are so many parties and drinking occasions in this movie. I'm absolutely itching to go out drinking. It's very inspirational. She gets really loose at this party and her sister hooks her up with these pills that supposedly will make her feel better. Jackson takes her home because she is that girl and he is a good guy. And uh, it turns out the pills were laxatives. This is PG. Surely not. Yep, it happens. She shits herself 
And then afterwards, Jackson helps bathe her. If that isn't true love, then nothing is. In the morning, they bang. Don't get too excited. It's so PG. But then they have a fight. And honestly, I actually don't know what it's about. It's not clear at all. But that's the formula of a rom-com. So it had to happen so they can make up. Thanksgiving then comes and goes and they're still fighting. And I still have no idea what it's about. But I think Sloane is the one at fault. It all climaxes at Christmas time at, wait for it, the same mall that they met at nearly a year ago. So fortuitous. Sloane just bumps into him again, Chicago, such a small town, and she makes this very long speech that I definitely tuned out of, and he's like, you're hot, it's on, let's bang. So yes, this movie is predictable as fuck. If you're not expecting that, then joke's on you. But it doesn't mean you can't enjoy the ride. And it's a fun ride, like the scenic railway at Luna Park. Fun. It's actually a really funny movie. There are some solid one-liners where I legit laughed out loud. While the movie is obviously cliche, the characters aren't really. Well, Sloane isn't. She's kind of sloppy and dirty. And when does the hot girl ever shit herself? I expect that all holiday movies will be largely downhill from here, so I suggest you watch this one. I would definitely watch the sequel. 8 out of 10. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, which we assume you do if you got this far, a five-star rating and review would really mean a lot to us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media for more lols and recommendations, also because we put a lot of work into it. To join the weekly podcast conversation, join us in the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte. Don't worry, we're not spammy at all. And for even more low involvement entertainment, head to largealmondlatte.com. There you'll find the show notes, but also heaps of articles to get your peepers around. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.